streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. know every year we have a new crop of people who come to this sport who become fans and every year they love it they love media days they love the pageantry they love the preview magazines they love kickoff they love going to their first tailgate their first game they love getting into the playoff stretch and they may not love the committee, but at least they love the rankings they love all that we all love all that we love conference championship Saturday but if you're new to this game you think to yourself, oh, look, there's the finish line. Conference championship week, that's the finish line. And then we'll have bowl season. And I hear good things about the playoff and the title game. But then you learn about the portal. You learn about recruiting and early signing day. And you learn that December is a battlefield in this sport. In college football, December is not for the faint of heart. And you look at yourself, let's say you're from Ackworth, Georgia, and you decided, I'm not just rooting for the Falcons anymore, I'm going to be a Georgia fan this year. It's a good time to jump on the bandwagon. And you may be thinking, hey, won the last two titles, came within an eyelash against Alabama of maybe punching our ticket to try and win a third. Why are all our players leaving? Why is the top quarterback in the country maybe, maybe decommitting from our class? What's happening here? College football is happening. The consequences of success are happening. Late Kick is live on this Tuesday night, December 12th, the year of our Lord, 2023. We are jam-packed high atop a relatively turbulent downtown Nashville, Tennessee. A lot going on. We could probably do a three-hour show extemporaneously right now. I could throw these papers in the incinerator, and Jesse's work could all be for naught, and we could just talk about rumors. I could call Wilt Fong, I could put him on speaker, and I could say, Steve, what, what's happening today? I could call Matt Zenitz. I could say, hey, who's hopping in the portal? Hummer, who are you hearing is going in the portal in the next hour? I don't know how some folks do it. I don't know how some coaches do it, man. I know they get paid a lot of money. Some of them do. I still don't know how they do it. I'm going to try my best to make sense of what's going on right now. If you've been at work, if you've been on a little family vacay, and you've been tuned out of this sport for the last 72 hours, it is turning itself upside down. So I got that tonight. I got, I got portal and recruiting scoop like you wouldn't believe. I've got some early thoughts on the college football playoff games. I'm going to do my predictions on the games next week, but I got some early thoughts. Texas, Washington, Michigan, Bama. I've got a question from one of you about the Once Upon a Saturday tour this year and what moments we like the best. So you know what? It's time for like a greatest hits, best of sort of album for the tour tonight. And I got a lot of stories for you. It's going to be a good show. No matter what kind of content you like, it's going to be a good show. They're watching us in Jacksonville, Florida, Shippenburg, Pennsylvania, Enid, Oklahoma, and Whitestone, South Carolina. I have some really, really um, interesting people lined up for the Pate State Speaker Series because we're going to be home. And Director Colin is being mandated to stay home, and Producer Jesse is being mandated. Don't come in the building. Take some time for Christmas. We're going to pre-record some conversations with some friends of the program. And I think you'll be interested who we feature. And I'm not even going to tell you when those conversations are going to drop. I'm just telling you we're going to pre-record some stuff later this week and early next week. And around Christmas, 
I will give you no advanced warning. All of a sudden, just boom, in your lap will be a 45-minute conversation with some people you've never seen on this show before. And it'll be fun. I think it'll be fun for all. In the meantime, I've got a metric ton of content to deliver to you. College football playoffs coming up. We're going to be in the Rose Bowl, New Year's Day, Bama versus Michigan, and we're going to do the prediction for the game next week, but just some early thoughts that you guys wanted and asked about, and I think this game will be in J.J. McCarthy's hands. Honestly, I think Alabama will try and put it in his hands, and if you're Michigan, if you got a veteran quarterback, if you got a guy who is sort of the face of your team, who else's hands would you want the game in, right? So I think it'll... It'll strangely be a game that is um, in the perceived wheelhouse of both teams. So that's where I want to start with you. His last four games, you're going to hear this stat a lot. Most of you, if you follow the sport closely, you're already aware of J.J. McCarthy and, and his, his relatively pedestrian passing statistics in their final four games. He had 60 against Penn State. We were at that game. He had 141 against Maryland, 148 against Ohio State, and 147 against Iowa. I, uh, I think I should remind you, they went 4-0 in those games. So J.J. McCarthy and that offense did what they needed to do to win games. The follow-up question, of course, should be, was that effort or is that effort going to be good enough against Alabama? How many points do you need to score? How many points does Michigan need to score to beat Alabama? It's classic line of scrimmage game. I think that's what most football-minded people are looking forward to seeing. You got, a, you got an offensive line in Ann Arbor that fancies themselves the best in the country. And you got an offensive line in Tuscaloosa who folks like me and Kublik sat here in August and said may be the best in the country and were very, very subpar early in the year. And then all of a sudden you watch them against Georgia and it's as good as Alabama's offensive line looked all year, just blew Georgia off the ball, uh, played by far their best overall football. So they're peaking at the right time. And so you got that that offensive line comparative analysis. And then you've also got a pass rusher like Dallas Turner, maybe the likes of which they haven't seen. You've got J.J. McCarthy going up against a couple of corners that are about as good as he's seen. But I'm just, I'm really interested in the line of scrimmage. I'm interested in it because I just saw what Bama did to Georgia. And let me, let me tell you, having the vantage point I had was pretty glaring. Not something I expected necessarily, but pretty glaring when you're looking, you know, if you can line up right there on the ball and you watch the line of scrimmage get reestablished, you don't have to be able to break the game down at a fundamental level like some of these dudes who have chalk under their fingernails and they've been at it for 30 years. When you see that, doesn't matter if it's your first day ever watching this sport, you probably realize that team is taking that team and doing whatever they want with them physically it probably behooves this team to do that. You're going to do that against Michigan? Is Michigan going to do that against Alabama? Michigan's defense does not give up explosive plays. It's what Alabama has feasted on all year. Now, Bama's gotten theirs against pretty much everyone. They didn't against Georgia. Milrow did not have a pass go for more than 30 yards against Georgia. And they still got the job done. That's how good they were at the line of scrimmage. But that Milrow effect having to defend this part, if you're watching on YouTube, that part where the play breaks down and he still gets a first down, not even to mention the designed runs that they started to utilize with him a lot more starting in that game, actually the Tennessee game. Uh, Michigan hasn't faced anything like that. Notice I'm not saying Michigan can't handle it. I'm saying Michigan hasn't had to because they haven't faced a player like that all year. I think Michigan's got to get this game, man. 
Michigan fans know it. It it kind of it's both fair and unfair that it sometimes comes down to that. But Ryan Day has been sparkling, and yet he's getting judged based on what he's done in one game. Well, Harbaugh and this team have been sparkling all year. But if they lose in a semifinal game again, if he goes to 0-3 in college football playoff semifinal games, it was a great season. But you guys got here the last two years. You got to get further than just a semifinal game. And you're a short favorite. And you get it teed up. You played them two years ago, and Bama ran a score up on you at the very end of the game. And you get another shot, and it's a playoff game. And you got a veteran-laden team here. And you got your head coach back, and it's in the Rose Bowl. Everything's in front of you. Harbaugh's one and six in bowl games. He's one and six in postseason at Michigan. It's got to. It's got to be now, because if not now, I'm not saying they're never going to be there again. I'm saying, you know, statistically speaking, when is Michigan going to have a better shot at this thing than they do right now? Conversely, Saban's nine and three in college football playoff games. It's it's amazing, almost beyond description that. He's got the team we saw lose to Texas and then just zombie walk, totally lifeless against USF in a playoff. He's got that team as an SEC champion in the playoff. We're going to be at that game. We're going to be there for a reason because one way or another, it's going to be a pretty historic outcome out there on New Year's Day. And we get the 2 p.m. local time kickoff out there. So I get the, you know, I get the, the Herb Street Memorial sunset over the San Gabriel Mountains. And then we get to watch Texas and Washington afterwards that night. And since I just mentioned that game, why not go ahead and talk about that game for just a second? And if you're just joining us, we got a jam-packed show. And we got all kinds of different stuff. I just wanted to hit these early on. Texas and Washington seems to me like the kind of game that everyone had a knee-jerk take on as soon as the seeding was announced. Texas versus Washington. Mm-mm, that may be a mismatch. Really? Yeah, man, Texas. Come on now. Got to favor the horns, don't you? McConaughey, et cetera. The Undertaker, et cetera. Well, give me some football-related reasons. And I heard crickets. I have spoken. Well, some of, my, some of my Texas brethren are deadly concerned about this game. But some, you know, more agnostic fans just watching the game lean Texas hard, and it was all cause of brand. Because when you zoom in on it, it's not, let me whisper this now, it's not the best matchup in the world for Texas. I just want to throw it out there. And everyone knows I hate Washington. Obviously, it's been well established that every youth who grows up in West Central Georgia despises the Washington Huskies. So, joking. So if even I'm saying that, there must be some validity here. So Texas is top five run defense in the country. Washington doesn't care. Washington couldn't care less which is right below could care less. And by the way, and I'm saying that because Washington does not run the ball to win anyway. However, however, they did against Oregon. Oregon featured themselves a top 10 run defense outfit as well. And Washington said, really? Well, we're going to outrush you. They, they put 157 up on the ground, two touchdowns. So Washington found a way to run, but it's not what we expect from them. So if you get it from them on the ground, it's kind of a bonus. The reason why I said it's not the best matchup in the world for Texas is the purple team here comes in with the number one passing offense in America, and Texas is sitting there with a 96th rated pass defense in America. So as you can see, we, we got square pegs and round holes as I'm trying to figure out matchup advantages for Texas, but that doesn't mean there aren't advantages for Texas. They're favored at FanDuel right now by four and a half for two reasons. 
One has to do with brand. Uh, there, there are people at FanDuel and elsewhere who understand we could put Texas minus a million out here, and there is a portion of the population that is ready to bet Texas, kind of like a Dallas Cowboy game, for example. However, there's another reason Texas is favored, and that is because they have an athletic edge on Washington. They have home field. They're playing this thing in New Orleans. I, we, producer Jesse and I were trying to guesstimate the crowd split today. 75-25 is just the starting point for me. And I don't, think the, I don't think the airlines are doing any favors to our friends in the Pacific Northwest, by the way. I'm all, I'm all about Alaskan Airlines. Love them. Just wish that they'd meet our friends up there in the Pacific Northwest in the middle a little more on pricing and availability. You know, I, I don't want to get on my soapbox about how the airline industry does not cater more to its customer than it does. Like, this is a unique circumstance. Okay, I don't know what the daily Seattle to New Orleans traffic is, but for there not to be special flights just over a two-day period, knowing full well you'd sell them out as soon as you put them on sale, is beyond me. The airline industry's never gotten on board with the unique demand that rises when you have sporting events like this, especially in college football because you've got folks who really want to travel. Anyway, the home field notwithstanding, this athletic edge notwithstanding, I mean, this isn't the first time Washington's going to be the second most talented team on the field this year, I promise you. Like I said against Oregon, and like I'll say against Texas, it really doesn't matter how many other positions you have them out-talented. If their receivers go off, you're in trouble. And they possess the ability to do it anytime you step on the field with them. So that is what we have to look forward to last week. Colin just, just, just kind of casually throws Roma Dunze up there who um, would be the best wide receiver on pretty much any team he was a part of. He's one. I got two or three other ones right there that can really mess you up if you're a secondary. And that's one that's rated in the top 25. Texas, nowhere near that. So Texas has their work cut out for them. Here's the good news. Texas can score. Texas, on their side, offensively, is probably facing the equivalent of a middle-of-the-pack Big 12 defense. I know that'll find its way onto a bulletin board or a hype video or whatever. That's fine. I'm speaking in terms of statistic. That's what Washington defensively has been this year. They're, they're right 50th points per game allowed, 122nd in pass yards per game allowed. Texas should be able to have success as well. If this is a game where Washington's going to get into the upper 30s on you, you should be able to get into the 40s on them. And if you can't, you may not deserve to win the game. That's my take there. I have got a couple of bits of news for you. So the first thing is Christmas is approaching. And that's not breaking on this show. You don't have to cite me. It's on the calendar. Everyone knows or should know. Uh, but what you need to know, and I, I wouldn't mind if you cited me on this, is Academy Sports and Outdoors is probably the pace that you either already have been if you're smart or need to go to if you're a procrastinator to check everything else off that list. And if they don't have it in Academy, it shouldn't be on the Christmas list. Like, what all do you people need, really? Some big league chew, a new fishing reel, and a basketball hoop, and you're good to go. And clothes, they have clothes as well. If you can't get to Academy Sports and Outdoors in person, academy.com has you set. If you're watching or listening to this show, you didn't have to pay for it, and that's because Academy is a very, very uh, worthy sponsor to have on board. They are a worthy partner for us to have. And by the way, for those of you 
who are wondering, did, did I win one of those $50 gift cards? I wonder if I won one of those $50 gift cards. Well, <clears throat> you've, you've done what you're supposed to do. You screenshot, which is the past tense of screenshot. You screenshot your, your Spotify wrapped that proves that Late Kick was your number one most listened to podcast this year. You posted it on the socials. You used the hashtag Pate State Academy. You did all that. Now, in classic Pate State fashion, we're not going to call you, and we're not going to hit you up from a, from a really fancy uh, six- or seven-figure follower account. No, we have a burner that we and only we know the name of, and we're going to be hitting you guys up in your DMs. So most of the time, I would advise you not to open those DMs, but you need to be on the lookout because we need your address, and that, or we need your email at least, and that's how we're going to get it. And inevitably, not all of you are going to trust us. And that's okay. That just means that we've got several more names in the queue because we're giving out a hundred of these things. I mean, Academy hit us up and said, here's five grand. We want you to give them out in the form of $150 gift cards for Christmas. And uh, that's what we're doing. That's just the kind of guy they are. That's just the kind of girl Academy is. We appreciate her slash him slash they. Let's go to the portal. A dangerous place to be any time of year, but the portal this time of year is doubly treacherous. You know Tyler Van Dyke, the Miami quarterback? Not anymore, you don't, because he committed to Wisconsin today. Natural pipeline there. Coral Gables, Madison, they look similar this time of year. Tyler Van Dyke's been at it a while. I still happen to believe that 2021 version of him, I saw Fornelli say this earlier today, and I'm going I'm to copy and paste the words of Tom Fornelli. I still think that 2021 Tyler Van Dyke is, it's in there somewhere. Yet I just need Phil Longo and the offensive staff up there to pull it out of him. He was 25 to 6 touchdown to INT ratio that year. He averaged over 300 passing yards per game that year. He didn't forget how to throw a football. I think some of his struggles have been due to injury, and also he's had like 19 coordinators in his career. So, hey, what's one more? And so Tyler Van Dyke goes to, goes to uh, Wisconsin. Today, also Riley Leonard. I'm not going to talk a lot about it because we expected it, but the Duke quarterback, Riley Leonard, he did make it official. He's headed to Notre Dame today. Speaking of the place that Mr. Van Dyke just exited, what's Miami doing at quarterback? Well, they got Emory Williams already there, friend of the program, but I don't think that they're just standing pat, as Meemaw would say. Cam Ward, the quarterback from Washington State, the number three overall quarterback in the portal, in there on a visit. Will Howard, also in there on a visit. That's the number four quarterback in the portal. Now, my feeling on this is if you're looking on the screen, Ward number one, Howard number two, if you're looking at the rankings currently at 247sports.com, Ward number three, Howard number four, I tend to believe that's the order of preference for Mario Cristobal and his staff. And I think if Ward decides to pull the trigger for Miami, I think that'll be their decision. Um, we'll see. I told you guys about two weeks ago when he went in the portal, we're going to have to wait and see what Miami does here. Like M Miami deciding whether or not to get in this battle was going to go a long way in deciding how many other folks were going to be suitors. Because if Miami gets in this thing, they're getting in it with the sleeves rolled up. And I think Miami's in it and the sleeves are rolled up. So let's wait and see. We, we think a decision's coming in the near future. It's portal season. Nobody knows anything. Walter Nolan, what's the latest update on the five-star defensive lineman? 
out of Texas A&M. Well, he took a visit to Oregon. It looks like he set up a visit to Ole Miss. It's the number one overall player in the portal right now. And sometimes you can get yourself accused of focusing too much on a player, spending too much time on a player. I remember pretty famously, a couple of years back, JT Tuomaloa was coming out of high school, number one overall defensive lineman, maybe defensive prospect period in the country. And he went past signing day. So he didn't commit on signing day. So he was like the only guy left out there. And his commitment ended up you know, being well after National Signing Day. And we did segments on him several times. And I'd look in the comments and people would be saying like, why are you talking so much about one player? Well, then you fast forward and they go up to Penn State and he just wrecks a football game by himself. And we come on air Sunday night and I remember saying, that is why we spent so much time talking about one player. Walter Nolan can have that kind of impact on a game. So if he goes to Ole Miss and they're in a dogfight with Texas or, or Alabama or whoever, and it's him just completely destroying things in the middle, was it worth the oxygen that you gave it on the show? My point is we wouldn't invest that kind of time on many players. He's an exception. He's a one percenter. And so let's just keep an eye on that as well. Oklahoma, sort of a gain and a loss as the portal tends to be in nature this time of year. Deion Burks is headed to Oklahoma. So that's a number 19 overall player, number two wide receiver in the portal. He's out of Purdue. He led their team in virtually every major offensive stat category this year. And Oklahoma, man, you know you got Jackson Arnold there. You know you got an offense that's going to score points. So that's a plus. The negative, and one that kind of came out of left field today, I mean, this one even raised my eyebrow, is Caden Green jumped into the transfer portal? That is a 6'5", 325-pound offensive tackle, started seven games as a true freshman for him this year. He was the number 93 overall prospect in the past recruiting cycle. He is, I don't know that we even have him ranked yet, but when they do, I have to believe that'll be the top offensive tackle in the portal. Um, there's such a shortage at that position that he'll get calls from everyone. Do folks who are stocked up at offensive tackle will call him just because you can't see a player like that go in there and not call him up. I mean, quarterback, offensive line, when those guys go in the portal, it raises everyone's antenna. And so I, I don't doubt that he's had to keep that cell phone plugged in all day. What about Colorado? Dion's trying to rebuild an offensive line. It was by 10 miles, their biggest position of need this past year. I, I don't need you to take my word for it. Go watch their games and how under duress Shadur Sanders was. So Jordan Seaton is not in the portal. Jordan Seaton is a five-star offensive tackle out of the old-fashioned, traditional high school ranks. And he, he, um, he came as close to shocking the world as recruits can come in the year of our Lord, 2023, the other day. Didn't even have Colorado in his top five and then announced, I'm headed to Colorado. And um, I saw our buddy Jeff Schwartz say, that commitment alone is worth more than any of the portal guys that they pick up this year. And I tend to agree with him because philosophically, you are not going to sell me on moving off my stance that you have to build offensive lines through recruiting. High school, not the portal. Now, there is a more radical approach to the portal in Boulder, Colorado than there is elsewhere. So they've, they've taken five offensive linemen. So far, five of their six transfers are offensive linemen. None of them are Jordan Seaton. So Seaton probably starts day one out there. 
And I, you know, I know it's much easier said than done. They need more like that. Out of the high school ranks, they need more like that. And they're not alone. But it's an interesting case study because if anyone's going to try to flip that philosophy upside down, it's Dion. And if anyone can do it, it's also Dion. Uh, Chip Trainum, the running back out of Ohio State, he's headed to Kentucky. He's a number five portal running back. And look, Kentucky's doing a lot of what they did this time last year. They last year went and got, they went and got Leary from NC State. Well, they've gotten Brock Vandergriff, a quarterback from Georgia. Last year, they went and got Ray Davis from Vanderbilt to be their running back. Well, they just got Chip Trainum to be their running back. They got uh, Raymond Cottrell. Uh, that's the wide receiver. So they've gotten quarterback, running back, wide receiver. Uh, they're still in it for some guys. This is just kind of the approach that I expect Mark Stoops to continue to take. I feel like uh, one of the very underrated portal destinations in the country is Kentucky. Said it about Missouri as well. I think Lane Kiffin's sort of showcasing Ole Miss like that, but there are other places where if you're done with the bells and whistles, if you're not a sophomore, junior, senior in high school anymore, if you've, if you've been around the college merry-go-round a couple of times and now you just want to go get to work, get developed, and roll up your sleeves and sort of get down to the nuts and bolts of what it takes to develop you as a player, I think Kentucky's well-positioned to attract that kind of guy. The portal is not slowing down, is my point. And so we could probably go another 20 minutes on that. Those are the big hitters that I wanted to get to tonight. Uh, we will literally keep that in every show because even as we go off air tonight, something else will happen. Uh, if you will give me three seconds, maybe four or five, I need to take a sip from the chalice. Thank you. Uh, we got a nice little crowd watching live. I want to I just tell you, 30-second story. I got a text from a buddy who is also in the YouTube space today, and he was sad. And I said, what's wrong, buddy? What's got your dauber down this holiday season? He said, I think I do good work, but 53% of my viewers aren't subscribed to my channel. What's wrong with them? And I said, well, would it help you to know that those are the exact same numbers we have on our channel? And the moral of the story, friends, is if you like what you're watching, subscribe to the channel, especially if you want to keep it free. Uh, you know, I complain anytime a show that I like gets put behind a paywall. And I'm sure a lot of you would complain if we ever put this show behind a paywall. There are no plans to do that because our numbers are good. But the way to make sure that doesn't happen is you click that little red subscribe button. Then your work is done. You don't have to fill out a form. There's no boxes you have to check. You don't get emails. Uh, but on the back end, it helps us because that signals to this platform to invest more money into the advertisers that pop up in our videos. The advertisers are always going to be there, guys. So you're not going to get rid of that unless you subscribe to YouTube Premium. But you can help us a great deal by just subscribing on the podcast as well. Subscribe. That's all I need you to do. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.
Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. I can't believe that I have this question in my hand right now, but I do. Colin, can you believe that you had to put this on the screen? So, I'll give you the backstory after I read the question. Riley from Murfreesboro, Tennessee. If Dylan Rayola decommits along with a flood of portal exits, how bad is it for Georgia? How bad is it for Georgia? My, how the tables have turned in this sport. I am speaking semi-sarcastically, but also realistically, this is kind of how it happens. So if you don't know who Dylan Rayola is, he is one of the top-rated quarterbacks in America. He's been committed to Georgia for a long time, transferred from Arizona to Buford High School, a, a program I had a fair amount of success against when I played them at Harris County High School, but a powerhouse. Uh, there is something called the Buford curse that Georgia fans know about all too well, and it goes a little something like this. We don't get players out of Buford. That's what a Georgia fan would tell you, beginning and ending of sentence. Well, the thought was, we're going to break the Buford curse because we got a five-star quarterback. He is so locked in that he's going to transfer to Buford, and he's going to be in here in the state of Georgia, and he's, he's going to learn the culture. And then all of a sudden, yesterday, Wilt Fong drops a Fong bomb on everyone. He changed his crystal ball for Dylan Rayola to Nebraska. Dylan Rayola's father coaches and played at Nebraska. There's probably some NIL involved there as well. I am not an idiot. I understand how this game works at this point. And now, all of a sudden, we got pets' heads falling off in the state of Georgia. And then you combine that with the fact that 14 kids, as of airtime tonight, have hit the portal. That's got some Georgia fans saying, what's happening? What's wrong? Are we in trouble? Should I be worried? <sighs> That's why I'm here. I am here to both shoot you straight but also talk you off the ledge. I don't want you to come all the way down. I just want you to back away from the ledge because I'm not going to paint this as a good thing. Of course, it's not a good thing. It's just, it's a real thing. I'll tell you when you got legit reason to worry. When you're a Georgia fan, the moment you need to start legitimately worrying about your program is the moment that you look at that headline and instead of a kid decommitting or a kid going in the portal, it's your head coach leaving. It's Kirby Smart deciding he's either retiring or he's going to the NFL. And until the day that happens, and I have no guided knowledge it's ever going to, until that happens, you'll be fine. Doesn't mean you'll win the national championship every year. You'll be fine. You're in two of the most capable hands in this sport right now at the head coaching position. And so, I think there may be this misnomer. I grew up in Georgia. I know that state intimately. There was not a ton of national success for this program for a long time. Mark Richt had the program very good, but it was not elite. They weren't winning national championships. They were an SEC contender with flashes of national contention. But my point is, they weren't in the kind of rarefied air that USC had been in the early 2000s, nor did they ever get to the heights that Urban got to at Florida, and they never got to the heights that Saban has had Alabama at for a long time. 
So my point is they never experienced this. A lot of my statesmen down there, you guys never experienced what it was like to be the best in the game for any period of time. Clemson did. Clemson got a bite out of that apple, got a couple bites out of the apple, actually. And then Clemson didn't fall off a cliff, but they found out what the consequences of success in this sport are about. They're real. It's not just some catchphrase I made up so we can sound cool on this show. You, you, I'm on bumpy flights all the time. I fly every week. A bumpy flight does not mean a crash is imminent. It just means that's how flights work. And having a little turbulence in your program, that doesn't mean the sky is falling or it doesn't even mean you're doing anything wrong. It actually may mean you're doing something right. Consequences of success, as, as we've coined the phrase around here, are only experienced by the elite 1% or 2% in the sport because there's this, there's this very big lie that's told in college football and in life that when you get things rolling, when you start to have some success, things get easier. No, some things get easier. Like it's no longer hard to get attention. In college football, it's, it's no longer hard to get airtime when you've got success. But when you get that success, there's this whole other barrel of issues you never thought about, you never thought they were possible, you never even considered them when you were seven and five, and all of a sudden, because you're successful, there's this new heap of crap that falls in your lap that, that no one who goes eight and four per season ever even has to worry about. That's Georgia football. That's Kirby Smart. Urban dealt with it with very mixed results. Uh, Saban is the best to ever do it because he's dealt with it year over year, and it's not ever taken him off the top spot, which is its own different show. Kirby Smart's dealing with it right now. It's also why I never entertained uh, that very short-sighted question that a lot of folks kept asking, has Kirby overtaken Saban? It's impossible. It doesn't matter if he won three titles in a row and won every game 50 to nothing. It's impossible because the greatness of Nick Saban is not seen in a 12, 24, or 36-month period. It's decade and a half of dealing with the consequences of success and never being taken down, never being taken off the top spot, and in the process, sort of retooling and reinventing your philosophy a couple of different times. Kirby Smart's fine. Georgia's fine. Let me tell you how much that Saban guy has totally warped reality in this sport. He's not human. So what they've done at Alabama is not normal. It'll never be done again. You just happen to be existing in that era right now. And because you're existing in that era, and Nick Saban's done what he's done there, everybody thinks their guy can do that, and everybody thinks their program can do that. You can't, and you won't. And if you do, then you're an alien just like he is. I had someone earlier today in my comment section, dead serious, ask the question, is Kirby Smart going to become our Dabo Swinney? Like it's a bad thing to be Dabo Swinney. Dabo has dominated a conference for uh, over a decade, up until five minutes ago, won two national championships, double-digit wins every season, but because he doesn't have half a dozen national championships, because he's not the dude with the script A on his chest, we don't want a Dabo. Yeah, you do. The rest of the sport does. What if Kirby's our Dabo? I looked at it and I typed out like five responses and, and thankfully, guided by Meemaw's wisdom, I hit backspace each time. I just don't think some folks realize how hard it is to win. Kirby does because he says it all the time and you don't believe him because he just got done playing Kentucky and since he was favored by 16, it's just supposed to be easy. Playing Georgia Tech, 
He's got a more talented roster. Ditto when they face South Carolina. Ditto lately when they face Florida or even Tennessee. So it's just supposed to be easy. Even when you've got everything rolling, it's hard. It just looks easy because the best make it look easy. But you have no idea. When those guys all of a sudden show up and they got a few more gray hairs and you can tell they've put on six or eight pounds over the course of the season, it's because they're living a really unhealthy lifestyle. Not that you need to feel sorry for them, but I'm just telling you, even the best of the best, it is like bear crawling over a bed of broken glass to try and maintain that spot. It's the reason they seem so paranoid. It's also the reason why this time of year, you can't, I can't even get anyone to return a text because they're totally in the bunker. They're trying to simultaneously hold together a recruiting class. Uh, they're trying to hold together a roster. They're trying to make sure you know, their current guys don't go in the portal. They're also trying to get ready for a bowl game. And it's insane. And that is also its own separate conversation. But there's nothing wrong at Georgia. What's wrong at Georgia is you've won a little too much. And so you've stacked a roster a little too deep. And you can only put 11 on the field at the time. And you got about 37 or 38 of them over there who are really qualified to be on the field. And it's attrition. It's going to happen to them every year. You want to know the places that aren't really losing many players? They're the teams you're beating on Saturday. In many cases, that's just reality. So consider it a blessing to have to be tortured like this in December. Because you guys remember what it used to be like. You guys remember getting thumped by Florida. You remember when you couldn't breathe the same air as Alabama? You didn't lose as many players back then. Granted, it wasn't the portal era like it is now. I get it. You know what I'm saying is true, especially those of you down in Georgia. I just want this to be a copy-paste, rinse, repeat. Texas will deal with this. If, if Sark ends up winning like Kirby has, Texas will deal with this. Oklahoma under Brent Venables. If you guys are fortunate enough to get to this rung on the ladder, you will deal with this. The only reason that Dabo and Clemson aren't dealing with it as much is because temporarily they slipped, the foot came off the gas for just a second, but they were dealing with it too. You can't escape the consequences of success. It's why no one just keeps winning. What's happening at Alabama is not even real. Pretend like it's fake because you try and duplicate that. You hold that as your standard. You will be heartbroken when you should be joyful. Georgia fans should be overjoyed. Maybe not when a kid decommits or you know when you got 14 kids going in the portal, but your 30 or 50,000 foot perspective is you should be joyful. If you are 15 years old, and you're a Georgia fan, you have no clue that this is as good as it'll ever be. Because this is all you've ever known Georgia football as. It's this, hey, for that matter, you want to see some grade A suffrage, watch what happens to a 30-year-old Alabama fan when Saban leaves. Because you've only, you've only experienced a little bit of a window. Their entire life has been either we won the national championship or someone screwed us out of a national championship or you know, our team wasn't focused or your coaching staff wasn't quite up to snuff, but it's always because of us. Do you understand there's not another one of him out there? There's just not. And so everyone, including Alabama, will eventually come back down to earth and you'll suffer the consequences of success. And Georgia's no different. So I hope that made you feel a little bit better. They're watching us in Ashburn, Virginia, Atlanta, Georgia, and Flagstaff and Prescott, Arizona. Both of them checked in tonight. Appreciate you guys. Now, this will be fun. This next segment will be fun. I, I, I just want to make sure that I focus, 
because I got a lot of things on my mind. I don't want to leave anything out here. Let me take a little sip from the chalice. Okay. And thank you for watching live. Sometimes I have to check in on the live chat. So, Jesse, was this a question, or did we just decide we were going to go for this? I think my earpiece is clogged. All right, we'll just go for it. <clears throat> so the Once Upon a Saturday tour this year was amazing. And I've had several people in our DMs say, like, do you have any stories or, like, what stood out the most? What were the best environments, et cetera? So you know what I did? We got a map in my office over here, and it's like a map of the United States, and it's got stars for every city we went to. Wouldn't make a half-bad T-shirt if I don't say so myself. And so I'm just going to go down the list. Like, week one, Florida at Utah. What I remember most about that is it was my first trip to Utah. Place was on fire. It was a Thursday night game, as I recall, maybe a Friday night game. And we did a show from Rice-Eccles Stadium that afternoon. So it was a Thursday. It was 96 degrees on the field. No one's in the stands yet. Coach Quinn and Gelby are there. It's me, black t-shirt like an idiot. And I did not sweat a single drop. And it was then, friends, that I learned what a dry heat really was. Because your forehead turns the color of a tomato, but you don't sweat. And so, honestly, it's not half bad. They're right. It is livable. Those conditions are livable. And the next week, we go to Tuscaloosa. And there was humidity in Tuscaloosa. So it was a very wet heat the next week. And Texas didn't care. They came in there in 134-24. What I remember vividly, and we may see that rematch for all we know in the title game, is six minutes and change in the fourth quarter. The home crowd is spilling out of Bryant-Denny Stadium. Never seen it before. May never see it again under Nick Saban. But Sark and his team, for one night, found a way to come in there and empty the home building out. Because the only other time I've seen them hit the exits like that's when they're up on a team that much. That was the most impressive win in the college football season this year. I don't care who else says otherwise. I was there. They took it to Alabama, and who knows? Maybe we'll see the rematch, like I said. Then we go up to Missouri for Kansas State versus Missouri. And even though the line was only three and a half or four, I remember thinking, I just don't know where the edges are for Missouri. Well, that's because I didn't know how good Missouri was yet. And they hang, and it was the most like tightly contested game maybe we saw all year. There was no double-digit lead, I think, at any point. And there they are. Lining up for, what, a 50-some-odd, a 60-yard field goal. It was, I think, the longest field goal this year. And Missouri hits the game winner. Thicker kicker. Hits the game winner. The eye josh is rolling. Here's the footage. Just sneaks it in. And then what do you know is coming? Field storming. Student section. Right across the way there. It was the first of several field stormings that we would see that year. Faro Field. Bedlam. Caused me to miss my flight in St. Louis that night. And uh, so what did I do instead? I sat in my hotel and I watched football games like a good kid. But that was a memorable experience. It's so, it's so crazy how your first time at a place ends up being, you know, synonymous with people who are season ticket holders, and yet their best memory ends up being the one time you were there. Because it doesn't get much better than that. Field storming, man. And then Missouri goes on to win double-digit games. Where were we the next week? We went to South Bend, Indiana which is a movie scene. It's a postcard. I took the eye josh up to the press box before they opened the doors to the public, and I just treated myself like a cinematographer. Touchdown Jesus over there. 
in the distance, the Golden Dome, recently uh, re-gelded or gilded or whatever they call it when they put a fresh gold paint or a coat of paint on something. You know, this game got crazy. And that was when Ohio State just basically goes walk-off touchdown at the end of regulation. And, um, you know, that's, that's also when Ryan Day just decides, he just decides to cut the heel promo on Lou Holtz at the end of the game. I never had a problem with any of it because I think they're both adults and they can handle themselves. But I told you, you all were taken off guard when Ryan Day said what he said in the post game. And I was standing there as Ohio State got to the stadium and their staff is walking in. And I was talking to a couple of their staffers and they said, Hey, man, Ryan Day has been a different cat this week. What, whatever it was that they said about him in, in public this week, he heard it and he took it to heart. And then three and a half hours later, boom, he's talking about Lou Holtz. And I'm like, yep, they were right. They weren't lying to me. The week after that, I go down to Auburn. And this was a very criticized decision because a lot of you thought this was going to be a blowout. And then Auburn proceeded to, I think, have the lead at the start of the fourth quarter against Georgia. And it was tied with like eight, nine minutes to go. Don't go check the box score. I could be wrong on that. But Georgia edged Auburn 27 to 20. What I remember the most about that day is I, I made an error. I walked up Georgia's tunnel and I saw one of those big trailers, like portable bathrooms. Pretty nice. Nicer than what many of us have in our apartments, actually. And I thought Georgia had brought their own lavatories to the game. And I tweeted it out. It's got a ton of traction. They, they called, if, you, if you've ever called me clickbait pate, that was the day that you should have. Because as it turns out, Auburn provides those for every team. I just didn't know it because I've never seen them there. And I was forced to issue a good old-fashioned retraction on the show the next day. A retraction about portable bathrooms. And it's like at that point where you look around and you ask, what has my life become? I go home that night. I look in the mirror. I don't like the guy looking back at me. But at least I was truthful and honest. I, um, I do appreciate uh, Kirk Sampson and the folks there at Auburn for setting me straight. The next week, unbelievable. We go to the Red River Shootout, Oklahoma, Texas. Oklahoma is not picked by me to win the game, and Oklahoma goes on to win the game. And at halftime, as has become tradition, when we go to the Red River Shootout, march yourself right up the tunnel. I think there was a missed field goal or maybe a made field goal. I'm standing there watching it. Boom, halftime. Go up the tunnel, go out there, buy your tickets really quick, get your funnel cake, and then you go and you win playing one of the toughest Texas State Fair games there is, which is, of course, flip a chick, sledgehammer, rubber chicken in the moving pot, and you win it, and they hand you a foam chicken head that you get to wear on your head. And like I said, guys, it's not about the prize. It's the process. The process that it took to lock that bad boy down and the amount of funnel cake that was eaten afterwards and the, the sheer volume of powdered sugar on the black T-shirt all done in 20 minutes. And then you walk back in the stadium, flash that credential, we're right back in there, and you go down to the field and, because there's artillery all day in this game, like both teams have artillery-based celebrations and kickoff noises, and so you're right back on the field just in time. That's real life. Do you realize we actually get to do that? And the company pays us to go do it too. I still have that chicken head. Next up, 
things were going good. Things were going great, actually. And then all of a sudden, we go to Oregon, Washington, most insane environment, or maybe, maybe 1A, 1B, most insane environment we saw all year was Oregon at Washington. Dare I say the loudest environment I experienced all year, Husky Stadium up there in beautiful Seattle, Washington, unbelievable picturesque Seattle, Washington, and we saw another field storming. Oregon goes to kick a game-winning field goal. They miss it, and all of a sudden, there's just a sea of purple, and we're in it. Coach Quinn and I are down on the field, and we're in it, and Gelby's off somewhere trying to get a shot set up. Just, just living, breathing soldiers and angels at the same time by your side. So this was another field storming we saw, and Washington fans made sure to remind me that the model and the JP poll had been a little bit off, and they haven't stopped ever since. And all the while, we're asking ourselves, can we get back to SeaTac in time to get a red eye home? And the answer was yes. Yes, we could, and yes, we did. Then things got a little bit too good. I should have known when we kept seeing walk-off score after walk-off score, I should have known not to introduce a new element to the equation. But I got, I got too big-headed for my own good, and Cannell's texting me, and I'm like, Danny, why don't you just come next week? We're going to Ohio State. It's Penn State, Ohio State. I mean, surely we can justify it budgetarily. Why don't you head on up to Columbus? Okay, here's the thing about inviting Danny Cannell somewhere. He will show up, and he showed up. And we, we had a very lethargic, plodding, um, anticlimactic final. And so Danny Cannell poisons the well of the Once Upon a Saturday tour. That's how I want the headline to read. And the final score looks close, 20-12. to 12. It wasn't close. Penn State could not do anything. It's like watching molasses roll downhill in December to watch their offense on the field that day. So Ohio State gets the win. And then you want to talk about poisoning the well. You want evidence that Cannell was the ingredient that was never missing. I go down to Jacksonville the following week for Georgia versus Florida. He's not even there. And it's, it's still the residue is so bad, I get food poisoning. Because I ate the same stuff the crew ate. Okay, we've done a full inventory of this behind the scenes. There's nothing I ate. There's nothing I ingested, including a drop of alcohol. Not a single drop was had. Contrary to some of the accusations in my Twitter feed, not a single drop of alcohol, and I ate the same thing the crew did. And I got food poisoning that bordered on death that night, had to stay in Jacksonville an extra night. I famously, or infamously, threw up 16 times in about a 12-hour period, ripped my vocal cords, because I'm a, um, a V-squared, as they call it in the medical community, a violent vomiter. And so we couldn't even have shows Sunday or Tuesday. Thursday, I sounded like this. Uh, Thursday, I sounded like a hobo, but we had to get a show on the air. Colin was heard crying in my ear at the mere thought of me suffering out here behind the mic like I was. So, I, look, I blame it on Canal. Like, what else could it have been? Uh, Georgia won in a, in a rout, by the way. But then we go to Tuscaloosa, and Oregon, Washington, I think was 1A, LSU, Alabama 1B for the best environments that we saw all year. This is an Alabama win, and this is when Bama really started to click a little bit. And it was that Tennessee game. It was this game. When they started to look like the version of Alabama that we saw, 
uh, later on, like including right now in the year, Auburn game notwithstanding. But then we went to Penn State. And that was when the whole deal with Jim Harbaugh was, was breaking open. I was going to tell you a story. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it because I, I am not inserting myself in this immunity, I think. Let's just, let's put it this way. Remember how that week leading up to the game, Jim Harbaugh got suspended. And then they, they filed the, the restraining order against the league office. And then they fly to Happy Valley. And you're waiting that morning to find out whether Jim Harbaugh is going to be able to coach. I am in the stadium. I am outside Michigan's locker room. Okay, I got the eyes peeled. And then uh, a certain network comes on the air and says, Jim Harbaugh is, is holed up in his hotel room. And he is awaiting ruling. And if he gets a favorable ruling, he will have a police escort to the stadium. And I just, I think that was an interesting report. That's what I think. Uh, let's continue. Hey, how about the next week? Oh, by the way, Michigan won the game. The next week, Washington was at Oregon State. This pinky on my right hand right here, this pinky right here, just thawed out today from how raw this game was. Rain all night. I shot this video. It rained much harder than this. I just wanted you to kind of see the environment that Michael Penix and the Huskies walked into. It's like Oregon State's last big stand in the Pac-12 as, as we knew it. And um, Penix did not have a good stat line this night, but I think it was one of his best performances just because they didn't turn the ball over at critical moments. And I am telling you, it should have been impossible to operate in some of the conditions that they had to operate in that night. Just freezing cold, rain, moderate to heavy at some points, and they got the job done. Remember, they were point spread underdogs in that game and got the job done. I have never been happier to get out of a place and just get into a rental car than I was that night and got up to Portland and red-eyed home and whew, that was some good sleep was had on that flight. And then we went right to Thanksgiving, and then from Thanksgiving right up to Ann Arbor, Michigan, Ohio State, Michigan. What happens? Michigan wins it again. And what happens? Yet another field storming. I've been to Michigan Stadium twice. They have both been for Ohio State games, and they have both been field stormings at the very end. So I am not going to necessarily put it out there in the form of a demand. I'm just going to merely suggest that if Michigan wants to win big games, I'd be inviting me every single time. I was at both of those. I was at the Penn State game. I will be, tuck this away, I will be at the Rose Bowl. I, that may have just moved the point spread a couple of points, honestly. And then we had the SEC championship game just this past week, and that is an atmosphere unlike any other. Management was there. I guess my biggest memory from that is they put me on the national broadcast. So hat tip to management for talking to his management and, and getting us inserted with the big boys up there. Brian Jones standing there talking to New Heisel, a friend of the program, Adam Zucker up in the, the crow's nest at the main CBS set. It was a pleasure working with those folks. Those are, those are, that's a, that's a high-level operation when you get to work on the broadcast side or the network side. And... Um, that was fun, and it was, it was Alabama flexing like only Alabama can do. And uh, now we see as a result.
We've got a playoff that's set, and we're also going to watch and see what Georgia does in their game in the Orange Bowl against FSU. Like, I have this morbid fascination, as do a lot of people with that game. But you see the dates on the screen there. You can go to PateStateMaterial.com right now, and we've got the full Once Upon a Saturday Tour t-shirt. Look at that. The entire lineup, every date is on the shirt. I've been waiting all year to release that thing. PateStateMaterial.com. I know good and well you haven't done your Christmas shopping or haven't finished it yet. So if you've got a little tyke in the audience or you yourself are just in the audience and want the shirt, there it is right there. Really interesting, breathable fabric that the Once Upon a Saturday Tour t-shirts are made on as well. PateStateMaterial.com. So um, I mentioned a second ago in some of the playoff previews, more like an hour ago, but I mentioned right now at FanDuel, you've got uh, Bama is a one-and-a-half-point dog, and I think Washington's about a four-and-a-half-point dog against Texas. And you can go bet those games if you want to. I just want to take tonight, uh, because FanDuel as a partner has no problem with me doing this. In fact, they encourage it. I want to take tonight, and I want to remind you of something. Do not bet money you do not have. We have fun talking about betting on this show a lot. Uh, we we weave it into the show. It's not a betting show, but we weave it into the tapestry to where if you're interested, there's enough of it. And if you're not interested, it doesn't drive you away. But I do want to tell you, don't get yourself in trouble doing this stuff. Please practice proper money management. And please do not be betting money you don't have. Don't be borrowing money from people to bet. Don't be doing any of that. And I'm pretty sure a lot of folks in our audience may have nightmare stories in their past about having experienced stuff like that. A lot of us grew up using like offshore accounts or, or local bookmakers. And let me tell you what they didn't do. None of those folks have any interest in you being responsible because <laughs> the more responsible you are, the worse business they do. The reason I like these cats a lot and the reason we partnered with them is you go to fanduel.com slash RG right now. It's not their sports book. It's an entire website that is built to preach responsible gaming. And if you got yourself a problem or you want to know, you know, how am I performing? You know, you want an accounting of your money management, of your win loss, of, of different trends, or you know, hey man, I, I may need to self-impose some limits here. That's where you do it. FanDuel.com slash RG. You want to limit yourself. Uh, you you want to go at least a certain period of blocking yourself from doing things. People do it with other things in life all the time. Sports betting is no different. Um, so I appreciate they offer it. And I, I made sure to tell them a couple of times, I, every, every so often, I want to take this spot in the show and I want to talk about that. It is a bad place to be. When you dig yourself a hole doing this stuff, it is a bad place to be. You can't address it on the back end. It's too late then. Address it on the front end. And if you feel like you just need to step away, then absolutely step away. Just, just make sure. Check out that link, fanduel.com slash RG. Uh, go take a look at it. And if not for you, maybe for someone you know that may need to take a look at it. Really helpful resources over there, and I appreciate them offering that. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required, bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. 
Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. All right, we had another Twitter question that I wanted to get to before we get out of here tonight. And uh, it's, it's just in time because we were going to do a segment like this anyway. Gibson from Northport, Florida hit us up and said, who are some stock up teams after the 2023 season? Well, I'll tell you one of them that's easy is Arizona. And they're about to play Oklahoma in a bowl game. To me, it's one of the must-see bowl games out of the entire season. So two years ago, Jed Fish takes over. Just a disaster of a program. They were 1-11. The next year, last year, they were 5-7. Progress. But that pales in comparison to what they did this year. Nine and three. Their over-under win total was 4.5. And they doubled it up. How many teams did that, by the way? They doubled it up. They go nine and three. Noah Fafita, the backup quarterback, ends up getting pressed into duty and puts up huge numbers. And they run off a string. They won their final six games. Like I said, they got Oklahoma in the Alamo Bowl. They're joining the Big 12 next year. Texas and Oklahoma hit the exit door. Arizona, at full speed now, joins the Big 12. Would it be the biggest shock in the world if they went in there and won that thing in year one? No, it would not. No, it would not. In fact, I'll be interested, speaking of FanDuel, to see the conference odds and where Arizona perceptionally stacks up when they release him in the spring. Next up, I know I'll get some eye rolls on this one. Miami actually trended up this year. Now, I know everyone's got an opinion on Miami. Some of you are emotional about them. And you may think to yourself, pff, pff, he's carrying water for Miami again. Well, they were 5-7 and seven last year. They were 7-5 and five this year. And I would argue a catastrophic coaching decision against Georgia Tech kept them from being 8-4. and four. And, and turnovers cost them in the aggregate at least one more game to the point where I, I look at them and I don't think there's a ton keeping them from being a contender in the ACC this past year, like this year. There's not a, a wide gap between what we saw and an alternate version of Miami that ends up contending, but they didn't get the job done. That's why they're seven and five. But trending up means I expect more from them next year than we got this year. It's a talent acquisition business, guys. You don't have to like the fact that they were top seven in portal and recruiting last year, but they were. You don't have to like the fact that they're sitting there again in the top 10 in recruiting and probably will finish higher. They're sixth right now. Uh, they will make big splashes in the transfer portal. They've got good players. They're getting good players. So again, your pushback could be, oh, they're not going to be a national title contender. I didn't say they were. 
I said I think they'll be better than 7-5 and five next year. That's called trending up. Ole Miss is trending up. Now, Ole Miss is easier to see because they just won 10 games again. They're already good. The question around that program, no matter how many moves Kiffin makes right now, is have they hit their ceiling? And there is a widely held belief out there that Ole Miss can't be any better than 10-2. and two. And I'm looking at what they got coming back next year. So the, the receiving talent that's returning, the receiving talent that's being added via the portal, Judkins still there, and Jackson Dart being back at quarterback and a, a schedule that all of a sudden doesn't include Alabama on it. And I'm thinking, hmm, is 10 wins the ceiling there? It's hard to win more than 10 games. It's hard to win 10. But could they do more than that? With all this smoke and all this attention around the SEC being harder than ever, OU and Texas are joining. Huh. huh. C- could Ole Miss just be a surprise contender? I don't know. But I think they're trending up at the very least. I want to go to the state of Texas. Who are we going to talk about here? Are we going to talk about Texas Tech? Are we going to talk about A&M? Are we going to talk about, oh, we're not going to talk about TCU, are we? Nope, but stay in that city. I want to talk to you about SMU. You hear this? Hold on. Hold on. Because they love this over on the SMU Twitter account when I do it. That's the sound of SMU galloping their way into the ACC. Did you know that, friends? No, 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 no. They won the AAC this year and the JP poll, by the way. Only poll to be endorsing them halfway through the season. Crickets are the haters. Crickets, the haters that said, why is SMU there? Because they're going to go win the conference championship. The JP poll apologizes for being on them before any of the rest of the people were. But... They're moving to the ACC next year. I think that was lost in all the conference realignment. I I just don't think many people are even aware that next year, SMU plays Florida State. They play Duke. They play Louisville. They also play Houston Christian, which is a rivalry that I have long waited to be reignited. SMU-Houston Christian, baby. Get your tickets now. Uh, SMU also goes to Vandy next year. They are primed to explode. SMU is primed to do some big things. They are a program along with UCF that I have felt for quite a while were primed where if they ever get in a major conference, UCF already has, SMU is, is about to be there as well, um, could do some things in SMU's case that they've already done. They just did it a lifetime ago. UCF's never done it. You don't have to doubt it. I mean, if you're, if you're a 55-year-old fan of this sport, I don't really need to school you on what SMU can be. I do think if you're 25 years old, I need to school you. And it is at this point in the show where I am not going to be the one who schools you. I'm just going to say you're on Christmas break right now. Okay. You've got Amazon Prime or you've got the ESPN Plus app or your buddy's account. Go find Pony Excess, not Express. Go find Pony Excess. It is the best 30 for 30 that ESPN ever did. And it will tell you the entire story of when once upon a time, SMU was the top college football program in America. What did he say, Mom? I said SMU was once upon a time the top college football program in America. And some of the great sound bites in history are on that very, very high-level documentary. I love it. Bayless is on there. Vern Lundquist is on there. Brent Musburger is on there. When the local media turns their guns on you. You are finished as a program. I could probably recite like 80% 
of that documentary. So kids, if you want something to do over your Christmas break, Pony Excess, 30 for 30, go find it. And finally, we wanted to do four teams, but I snuck a fifth in here. Iowa State's trending up. And don't be shocked. Don't be fooled. No, 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 no. This isn't just homerism. It is homerism, but it isn't just homerism. They were four and eight last year. They were seven and five this year. They are trending back up. Matt Campbell, about every third year, we look for him to sneak an eight or nine win season in there on us. They won five of their last seven to close the year. They were very competitive against Texas up in Ames. They beat Kansas State in a snow globe. And now they've got the Big 12 Offensive Rookie of the Year at quarterback in Rocco Becht, as I pronounce his name. I think next year may be a good year for Iowa State football. Hashtag us. And us is all we have in Ames, Iowa. You know, even, even Hassel when he shows up in Ames now. He doesn't even do local media anymore. You saw the clip. I saw the clip. All we got is us, guys. And that's all we need. Thank you so much for watching the show tonight. Uh, we will be back here Thursday, same time as usual. Until then, for Director Colin, for Producer Jesse, I'm Josh Bate. Take care. Have a great rest of your evening. And God bless. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit GamblingHelplineMA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.